and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of all the earth.
online services.
This morning, our prayers are taken from the current news sheet. There will be spaces for you to be able to pray either in your heart or aloud in some places. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to meet freely together and worship you. We thank you for Peter, Ursula, Jeanette, John Farrow, John Andrews, and David Watts, Ashton, and Ashton. all the David Ashton, John Ashton, and David Watts, and all the PCC members as they look for your guidance on the way forward of Christ Church here in Baston Hill. Lord, forgive us for grumbling when things aren't quite as we would like them. Remind us to count our blessings and to pray for those who live constantly under the threat of death because they love you. Lord, give them courage and strength to remain true to you. We pray for Alpha, Coffee in the Living Room, Cinema Church, Sunbeams and Schoolwork. Please equip leaders and helpers with the ability to convey your saving love to everyone who attend these activities. And Lord, there are so many we know of who are struggling with health issues, but we do mention by name John Tiller and Duncan and David Rouch, but there are others. Please feel free to either name them aloud or quietly in your heart.
Lord, please bring your peace and healing into the lives of these people, that they will know you very close as they move through their current situation. And now we pray for our mission workers that we support that are in this week's leaflet. Shrewsbury Youth for Christ. Thank you for the wonderful work they do in supporting the youth across, across Shrewsbury. We pray that there would be good opportunities for young Christians to know one another and to be a support to each other. Lord, we thank you for the work of the street pastors. We pray that you will keep them safe on the streets. Equip with them with all that they need to communicate your love. And Lord, we pray for the urgent need for more volunteers. Please call men and women to this task. And now, Father, we turn to the UK and world events. There is so much we could pray for, so Jesus, please lay on each heart and hear some thoughts that we had for our own government, the people affected by the storm, the situation in Ukraine and Afghanistan, and disasters around the world, like the mudslide in Colombia and the tropical storms in Madagascar. And a prayer will come upon the screen, which I would like us to pray together. Father, we bring, we bring all these prayers, spoken and unspoken, and pray, your kingdom will come, your will be done, in each and every situation, in Jesus' name, Amen. The reading today is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, beginning to read at verse 1. 
At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. As a few of you have arrived since I turned and was facing this way, it's perhaps uh, lovely to see you all. A Hollywood film crew was on location deep in the desert. And one day an old Indian went up to the director of the film and said, tomorrow rain. The next day it rained. A week later the Indian went up to the director and said, tomorrow storm. The next day there was a hailstorm. This Indian is incredible, said the director. And he told his secretary to hire him on the spot to predict the weather for the remainder of the shoot. However, uh, however after se uh, several successful predictions, the old Indian didn't show up for two weeks. Finally, the director sent for him. I've got to shoot a really big scene tomorrow, said the director, and I am depending on you. What will the weather be like? The Indian shrugged his shoulders. Do not know, he said. My radio is broken. <laughs> Appearances can be deceiving, can't they? We are looking at some of the parables of the kingdom this month, and we are thinking about how we can build our relationship with God as we join with him in establishing his kingdom here on earth. And in this parable in Matthew 25, Ian, do keep it up on the screen, please. Uh, there are five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. Call them bridesmaids, if you like, that's fine. And on the outside, they're all looking the same. They're all dressed, and they're all behaving like bridesmaids. 
pretty, radiant, charming on the outside. But the five foolish ones are rather dim and dreary and dull on the inside. Appearances can be deceiving. Now, the word foolish in this reading, in this passage, is is none other than the Greek word moros, which is where we get that rather rude English word or politically incorrect English word moron. So that, that word foolish actually can be translated as moron. Now, the scene of this parable is one of the, of the ten bridesmaids focuses on preparations for a wedding banquet that is, that is to take place at the home of the groom. Now, we don't get the cultural background. We don't really understand uh, some of this uh, reading when we read it because we're not quite in tune with the culture of the day. So let me try and uh, help you picture it, help, you, help to describe what is going on in this story and some of the background behind the story. So picture the scene with me, if you like. So there's a great crowd of family and friends who are filling the groom's home. And they pour onto the, suite in, uh, onto the street in front of the dwelling. And as the crowd is growing and, uh, and getting bigger and gathering, uh, the groom and several of his friends are making their way to that to the home of the bride, which we can only assume is either in a nearby town or in the same village or the same town, but a little bit away from where the groom's home is. And from there, the groom collects his bride and he escorts her back to his home, his family home, where there is a crowd awaiting. And that is where the marriage feast will be held. So when the bride is ready, uh, she's put on the back of a, a donkey or a mule or something like that, and the groom with his friends, they are then part of this disorganized, exuberant parade. Have you ever seen the, that best exotic marigold hotel scene? You know, the wedding, this amazing uh, kind of parade of people, happy, joyful parade of people going through this town. That's basically the scene that is in front of us here. And they're kind of winding their way through the village, the longest possible route back to the groom's home. They would go deliberately slowly. There's no rushing here. They go through as many of the streets of the village as possible so that as many of the village as possible can catch sight of the groom and his bride-to-be. And so they can see and cheer and say, wow, yeah, well done. And at the groom's home, some of the crowd are waiting in anticipation of the arrival of this meandering wedding party. Now the parable takes place at night. And among the guests are ten women. Each of them has a lamp. And, of course, all ten lamps are lit. If you're a young, unmarried woman in the Middle East, the last thing you do is go out at night without a light, without a lamp. And that is unthinkable. You don't do that. So these ten young women, on the face of it, they're all very judicious in their behavior. They all have lamps, and each of the lamps is a light, is burning. 
But there is a distinct difference going on between the bridesmaids. Some of them have brought extra oil. Some of them have thought it through. They've got extra oil in a little flask or a jar or a container of some sort, while the other half haven't taken that precaution. And so this parade is meandering through the village, through the town, making its way to the groom's home. It takes a bit longer than these ten, ten young women are aware of. And things like that usually do. It's, it's, it's going on a while. And so not surprisingly, these young ladies, these young women, become a little bit drowsy, a bit sleepy. And so they place their lamp on a safe place, a ledge or a table, in a shelter place, and they doze off inside the house. Finally, the parade enters the alleyway of the groom's home, and there's a cry that goes out, Behold, the bridegroom has arrived, he's here. Come out and meet him. And so the guests and the family and the friends, they all rush out onto the street. He's arrived. Now the ten women who have been asleep hear the noise, hear the commotion, and they wake up. And they recognize that some time has passed. And so, as it, as it says in the parable, that they trim their wicks, they service their lamps, they get their lamps ready and burning. So these, you know, in these old lamps, first century lamps, very different to lamps we have today, the wicks have got to be adjusted. The oil reserves in the lamp have got to be topped up. And to their horror, five of the women suddenly realize that their lamps are, all, are almost out of oil. And they've got no backup. They've got no reserves. The other five take out their little flask of extra oil and they top up their lamp. Replenish their lamp calmly as, you, as, it, as it's possible. So you can picture the scene. You've got these five foolish women who are now running around demanding that these other women give them some oil. But politely and firmly they are told, we do not have enough for you. We don't have enough for you and ourselves. You go and find some oil from a, a local dealer. So you can just imagine it, can't you? These five bridesmaids who are running out of oil are now going to be spluttering and moaning and complaining. Oh, why couldn't they just give me their oil? So off they go, stomping out of the house to go and beg and buy, buy some more oil. Now in a village like that, not quite like Basin Hill, but you know, not far off, everybody knows everybody. And so you can acquire oil, even in, in the middle of the night, it's, it is possible to do that, to do uh, to get this oil into your, you know, your flask, even at that time of night in the Middle East at that time. In the meantime, the, the groom and his bride arrive and the entire crowd pile into the house and the door is shut. It is the middle of the night, after all, so they shut the door. And in the final scene of our parable, the short-sighted crowd of five foolish bridesmaids finally get some oil, go back to the house, and find the door has been shut. Sir, Lord, 
Open the door to us. Let us in. They shout through the door. And the groom's reply is decisive. No, I do not know you. Now, you've probably noticed this from the parables of Jesus. We're left hanging on a thread. It's one of those EastEnders moments of, you know, what is going to happen next? We don't know. It's a, it's a kind of a cliffhanger. There's a cliffhanger. Is the bridegroom going to let them in or not? Now, interestingly, in the Middle East, the word no is never really an answer. Have you ever tried haggling in a market in the Mediterranean or in the Middle East? You know, you go into a market and they, they say, no, I, I, want, I want you to pay this. You come back with another price and you have a bit of a conversation about it with them. There's normally a, a kind of a, you know, we can work something out. We can come to some sort of a, agreement here. But in this instance, it seems, I don't know you means exactly that. I do not know you. It's the last word. So what is this story about? What is Jesus saying to us in this story? Well, on, the, on an ethical level, on an ethical level, there's about, there seems to be four main things going on that Jesus is saying to us. Firstly, he's saying something about the importance and worth of women. The importance and worth of women is implied in this parable. It could have been about ten young men. If you look in the previous story in Matthew's Gospel, if you've got a Bible and you literally look uh, in Matthew 24 and the, and the verses that literally precede this parable, it's a parable about three men. You've got a man who's in charge, who's the master, and he's going to put two servants in charge of his household. He chooses a, a wise, good servant and a, a foolish servant. It's about three men. In contrast, this story, this parable, uh, right next to it, the right one after in Matthew 25, is about ten people, but they're all ladies. Why? Well, in the Gospels, in the New Testament as a whole, the church is pretty much always known as the Bride of Christ. We are the Bride of Christ. The church is the Bride of Christ. And so therefore it's appropriate for Jesus to choose ten women to act as, as it were, members of the church, wise and foolish. Now those who study the Bible, and those particularly who are, are, are rabbinical, and they were Jewish scholars, have looked at this, and, and they say, yeah, at the time in the Middle East, it would have it required ten male, Jewish males, to make up a Passover meal. Ten Jewish males. And ten males were required for a valid Jewish wedding ceremony. But here, Jesus chooses ten women as the main characters of his story. And by choosing women, Jesus, you see, is putting the balance right. He is saying, actually, it's, it's that gender gap isn't right. We need to make this better. So Jesus is compensating for the religious culture of his day, of his day by choosing women as the main characters of his story. He is affirming women in a society where women are constantly put down 
and where men hold all power and prestige. That's the first thing to note. The worth of women is, is clearly affirmed by this story. Secondly, there's the question of borrowed resources. The faithful borrow many things from each, from each other, don't they? The church borrow, we borrow from each other, don't we, as church? Put your hand up if you've ever asked somebody else in the church for the lending of something. Could you lend me a tin opener? Can you lend me a bottle opener? Could you lend me a tennis racket? Could you lend me a golf club? Put your hand up if you've ever borrowed someone from something else in our church family. I'd imagine everybody probably, if you think about it, you probably borrowed something from someone in our church family at some point in your life, probably. We borrow things from each other, don't we? Or it's just a normal thing. But note in this parable, these foolish bridesmaids cannot borrow the oil that they need. They cannot borrow in their preparations for the coming of the kingdom. The foolish bridesmaids, put simply, are unprepared. They haven't got themselves ready. Let me say something to you. When you become a Christian, when you give your life to the Lord Jesus, the commitment and the discipleship that comes with that can neither be loaned nor borrowed. You can't ask someone else to do your discipleship for you. Let me get really kind of obvious on this. John, just, I mean, there's lots of Johns in our congregation, but John, do you mind if you would tell the truth for me all week? This is a rhetorical question, by the way. You don't need, you don't need to answer it. Okay. Uh, Libby, um, do you mind if you would tell others about Jesus for me this week? You know, it's, I, I do want to be a good and faithful... I'm, it's just as if I'm saying, I want to be a good and faithful disciple of Jesus, but I, I'll borrow from somebody else to do that. No. Jesus is very clear in this parable. He is saying that each believer must participate in the kingdom with his or her own resources. Thirdly, on that ethical level, Jesus is saying, if you want to be part of his kingdom, you're in it for the long haul. Life in the kingdom of God requires commitment in the long haul. Advanced planning is necessary. And reserves must be on hand. Jesus is putting some hard truths our way here. There's neither instant discipleship nor instant maturity in the kingdom of God. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. Very good title for a book. A long obedience in the same direction. The story says that, doesn't it? The five wise women know it's going to be a long night, so they are there prepared. The five foolish women don't quite get it, and they're not prepared. There's this long haul about being a disciple. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? Fourthly, ethically, in this story, is about reactions to failure. 
When things go wrong, when there's poor judgment, when other things go badly, whatever it is, inadequacies, the resulting problems cannot be resolved by shouting at your neighbour. Or the Lord, for that matter. As shown in the story by the foolish women. When short of oil, what do they do? They start demanding it from their friends. Give me some oil. Give us some oil. When they arrive late, afterwards, and the door is shut, the door is locked, they cry to the, they shout through the door to the bridegroom, let us in. Open the door. These five women are like the rich man in the story of Lazarus. Who in life mistreated, mistreated Lazarus day after day? They both die. And the rich man finds himself in Hades while Lazarus is taken to the, by the angels to the side of Abraham in heaven. And then the rich man starts giving him orders. He, commanded, he commands Abraham to send Lazarus down with a drink because the rich man is thirsty. And when that doesn't work, he makes another demand and says, send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them. The rich man expected Abraham to carry out these orders. But hang on. Lazarus is expected to jump at the chance of becoming either a table waiter or a messenger for the very man who has neglected him in life for years. Jesus is clear. In the kingdom of God, barking orders at others is not an acceptable way to try to resolve problems created by our own inadequacies. That's the ethical level of the parable. Let's get to the theology a bit then. What's theologically going on uh, in this story? Because Jesus is saying something here about, about God as well. There's a challenge and there is a warning here related to his second coming. The story is clearly looking forward to that fulfillment of all, time, of all things, the consummation of all things. When the Messiah will come to his own and his own will receive him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus knows that some who come to the banquet or who are deliberately awaiting for his arrival will not be ready when he comes. For each believer, of course, there is that moment, isn't there, of meeting with the Lord. That meeting with the Lord, it will either occur at, at death or it will occur if he returns in our lifetime. And the kingdom of God has a door that will close at some point. Now, for those who are committed to the host of the banquet, that door is still open. It's an open door. And yet at the end of the parable, Jesus says that door closes. And so the Lord is sharing a very deep truth with us here concerning the last days. Earlier on in the same gospel, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, and I will quote some verse, a verse to you. Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons. And in your name, perform any miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So these foolish versions, you see, are, they stand for 
unfaithful disciples, revealing that we need to be steadfast in our discipleship, in honoring Jesus always. And it's a, it's a warning here as well. It's a warning. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. There's no way of knowing when the bridegroom will return. That's what it says in the story. They didn't know when he's going to come back. And then he suddenly did. In the same way, we don't know when Jesus will return. A lot of people put in enormous amounts of energy to try and work out when is Jesus going to return. But he says himself, doesn't he? Scriptures say, of that day or hour, no one knows, not even Jesus, only the Father. And finally, there is, no, there is what is called Christology. This parable is also telling us about the person of Jesus. Jesus is the returning bridegroom. Jesus is the one who will come back one day. Jesus is the one who will arrive triumphantly at the, end, at the, at the, heart, the heart and at the front of that parade at the end of the age. And so Jesus is saying to, to me and to you, to the church then and to the church now, be mature in faith. He's saying keep growing in your maturity in the faith. He's saying encourage each other. Spare each other on. Look out for each other. Love each other. Beloved, you are beloved. You are the Lord's beloved. Beloved, blessed are those whose lamps are faithfully kept burning as they watch and wait for his appearance. The Lord says to each of us, be prepared. Let your light shine so that your Father in heaven is glorified. Be ready. Be prepared. For the Lord is looking for faithful disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we read your word and your word reads us. Are we ready? Are we disciples who are ready for that long haul? Are we disciples who are obedient for the long haul? Are we disciples who are not looking for others to disciple us necessarily, but doing what we can to be disciples of you? Father, search our hearts. Search our hearts and help us to identify where we need maturing in our walk with you. And Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you that you encourage us. You don't tell us off. You encourage us to walk more closely with you each day. Thank you, Lord, that you are at work within us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's We're using Eucharistic prayer A. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right. It is our duty and our joy at all times and in all places to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King. Almighty and eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. For he is your living word. Through him you have created all things from the beginning and formed us in your own image. Through him you have freed us from the slavery of sin, giving him to be born of a woman and to die upon the cross. You raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand on high. Through him you have sent upon us your holy and life-giving spirit and made us a people for your own possession. Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and saying together, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit these gifts of bread and wine may be to us his body and his blood who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, Heavenly Father, we remember his offering of himself made once for all, all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of your kingdom. And with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ your Son, our Lord. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord 
through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours forever and ever. Amen. As our Saviour has taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
body of Christ keep you in eternal life. Amen. blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And so we pray together this prayer following communion. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen.
So please come along to that. Uh, yeah, I just want to say a little bit about Sunbeams, and I'm wondering if my Sunbeams team would like to actually come up to the front. Um, you know, Sunbeams is our preschool um, baby to toddler group that runs every Monday morning, and we've a brilliant, fantastic team of helpers that come every Monday faithfully and serve God um, at this group. Um, but we need a bit of help. We've um, since COVID. Uh, that two-year sort of gap, we've had about four um, really solid helpers um, had to leave uh, due to various things. And it's left us a little bit thin on the ground. Um, and one important area in particular, and that's the refreshments, which Jackie's going to mention a little bit about. Um, but what I do want to say is that this, this group has blessed us all not just the people that come through the doors. And I think you'll all agree with that. It's actually blessed us all. And it's a fabulous group to be part of and a brilliant opportunity to reach out to new families and little children and welcome them. We've seen a lot of these families starting to come to the all-age services at the beginning of the month. And we really feel it's a gateway into church for these families to know about Jesus. So I'm going to hand over to Jack. Right, thank you, Jeanette. Um, as a Michelin-starred chef, that's why I'm talking about refreshments, of course. Um, it's, it's really just to uh, ask if there's anyone uh, out there or anyone that you know of, a member of the church, who might be willing to come and help with the, um, with the, the work that uh, Jeanette has described, and particularly the work that we do on refreshments. It's very simple and it's very straightforward. We provide simple refreshments for the children and a cup of tea or coffee and a biscuit for the, the mums and the grandparents uh, in the middle of the, uh, the session. So it lasts for about 10 minutes. or uh, No, it's longer than that, isn't it? It's about uh, 20 or 30 minutes. But uh, we have to set up beforehand and uh, then uh, deliver the, uh, the refreshments to everybody and then clear up afterwards. And at the moment, there are basically three of us. There's Hilary, myself, and, and Anne who do that. Um, and that's fine. We can, we can cope with the numbers that we get, even though the numbers of children and uh, parents and grandparents are growing steadily, which is fantastic. It's lovely to see that. But what we uh, realize is that if, if one of us or two of us are away, then obviously we, we struggle. So we are looking for some extra help from anyone who would be interested in, uh, in supporting us in, in a growing ministry within the, the church. Uh, it doesn't have to be every week. If you, for example, could offer to cover if uh, someone is away, then that would be great as well. It's on a, a Monday morning. Uh, we usually start about 9 o'clock, and we've finished by, by 12. So that's a brief description of, of what we do. If anyone out there is uh, able or willing and would like to help, then you would be most welcome. Thank you very much. I just want to say thank you to the team that have, have been solid, reliable, faithful and brilliant. So thank you very much for, for all, the, all the work you've put into that. Thank you.